0: Amen. Thank you guys so much. Again, thank you for being here. If you weren't here earlier, my name is Travis, the pastor here. It's great to be worshiping with you. Uh, if it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome. Thank you so much for being here. If you're here for baby dedication child dedication, I know uh, I'll just share from behalf of the families here, I know how much they appreciate uh, you coming and showing their support. But if it is your first time, I'd love to just connect with you and thank you so much for your visit. So if you let us know you're here, you can do that a couple of different ways. One, just text the word welcome to that number right there. You just pull out your phone right now, text welcome to that number. And and all this does is it gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit, which I would really appreciate uh, the opportunity to do that. So you can either text that number or we have cards on our table right there by the door and outside next to the coffee. It says welcome at the top. You just fill one of those cards out, leave it wherever you found it. And again, that just gives me an opportunity to thank you so much for your visit. So if you do that for me, I would really appreciate that. And you find us working verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So last week we finished up chapter 4, so today we're starting up chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be hanging out in verses 1 through 16 today. And as you're turning there, just give a recap and and reset the stage of where we've been. So in Acts chapter 4, we see the, the very first persecution of the early church. We see Peter and John being arrested by the temple guards. They have this trial where where their lives are threatened. They're told, hey, you you better stop talking about Jesus. And their response is, y'all do whatever you got to do, but we're not stopping. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. So that they get released and they go back to the church. And we see this, this powerful moment at the end of of Acts chapter 4, where the church is gathered together, and they're praying, and they're, they're crying out to God, asking for more boldness. They know the threats are coming, they know persecution is coming, and they want to continue to be bold for Jesus. And we see them uh, unified as a church, and then we see this incredible generosity that the early church had, where they were, they were giving of their possessions to support and care for one, and they were bringing it to the church and entrusting that to the apostles, and now we step into Acts chapter 5. So let me read this for us, verses 1 through 16, and then we'll spend our time talking about it. So it starts out, verse 1, "'But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, "'Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit?' And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So uh, when you preach verse by verse through the books of the Bible, there, there are moments in the calendar where, where a passage just falls perfectly, and I think you see it clearly. This is a, this is a perfect passage for baby dedication, right? That's a joke. It's all good. But, you know, we preach verse by verse, so we're just, you know, trusting the Lord's sovereignty in this, that he had this already planned out. But in, so in, in Acts chapter 4, like we said, this is the first persecution we saw of the early church. So Satan is, is coming in trying to attack the church from the outside. And now in chapter 5, we're seeing him, him come in and attack the church from the inside through the actions of sinful believers. And what's interesting is if you remember at the end of Acts chapter 4, we saw the story and the introduction of a man named Barnabas. And it's told that Barnabas had this piece of land, he sold the land, and he brought the proceeds to the church. And now at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, we see another couple selling a piece of land, bringing proceeds to the church. But this has a much different result. As we read there at the beginning here, it says that Ananias... And Sapphira sold the land, and it says that he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Now that doesn't seem bad, right? It doesn't seem bad. It's his land; he can do whatever he wants to with it. Peter even makes that clear: you can do whatever you want to with it. So we read this with our English translations, and we think, well, okay, I don't, I I mean, at least for me, I read that I'm like, well, God, why why did God, why did God kill him? And so he decided to keep some back. Why is that? Why is that such a bad thing, right? Well, this is where English translations don't do us any favors because back" is a very uh, nice, kind, generous way to translate the word here that we find in the original Greek language. It's a word that means embezzlement or financial fraud. So that's where part of this sin is coming in. So what they did was they sold the land like Barnabas did and brought proceeds to the church and then said, hey, this is, this is all the proceeds. Look, look at how awesome we are. Look, we sold this land, we brought everything. But they didn't really do that. They didn't do that. And Peter, whether it was supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit that told him this, whatever happened, he calls them out immediately. It's like, Ananias, why why are you lying about this? You you could have given any portion. You didn't have to do this. And as Peter says this, Ananias dies right away. And three hours later, his wife comes in. And Peter asks her, did you sell it for this amount that your husband said? Yes, of course we did. Peter calls her out on her lie, and, and she dies immediately. Now, this is where I want to focus uh, our time today, but before we get into specifics, this can be a tricky passage, right? I mean, we, we see this couple, yes, they made a mistake. Yes, they did something they shouldn't do. Yes, we we would all agree. Yes, they, they sinned, but why did they have to die right away? It doesn't seem like there was any chance of repentance, of any chance to go, oh, you're right, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Like, that. That's where this gets a little sticky and a little tricky. So that's why I want to spend our time on it. And if you've been with us in, in our study, in our series through the book of Acts, you, you've heard me say this quite a bit, but there's things in Acts that we have to look for that are, that are descriptive and things that are prescriptive. That's the way, how we have to interpret the book of Acts. We have to figure out, okay, what's, what's descriptive? What's just being described by Luke as this is just what's happening? versus what's prescriptive, what is prescribed for Christians of all ages, of all circumstances, of all situations, what, what are we supposed to walk in obedience to, right? That, that's the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. And I think we need to be clear on this because uh, we know from the entirety of Scripture, right? So this is how we kind of determine what's, what's descriptive versus what's prescriptive. We, we can zoom out in all of Scripture. And when we do that, we know that God doesn't always kill people right away when they sin, right? We know that from our lives. I know that from mine. Every time I sin doesn't mean that, that I die right away. Y'all, I would have died a long time ago, okay? I would have been done a long time ago. So we know that that's not what, what's being told. It's not that if you tell a lie, you're going to die immediately. If that was the case, if that's what's being prescribed for Christians, you better believe I'm reading my kids this Bible story every moment of the day. Like, y'all, liars, you see what happens, right? So that's not... That's not what's going on. This is just Luke describing what was happening. What we have to remember with Acts, it's a unique time in history. This is a pivotal moment for the early church. They are in their infancy. They're, They're in a very delicate phase, and they're already getting attacks from the outside. And now here's this sin that's creeping up inside the church. And God knows if I don't deal with this now, if I don't cut this out now, it's going to destroy the church before it ever gets started. So that's what God does. In a drastic move, he removes the sinners from the church. So that's the descriptive part. So let's focus on the prescriptive part. What is being prescribed to us as believers today is is that sin's a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It's important to God. It's destructive to our lives, and it needs to be taken seriously. That's what we need to take from this passage. So that's what we'll spend our time talking about today. So three things that this passage teaches us about sin. If you're taking notes, the first one, first thing we learn about sin is sin captures our hearts. Sin captures our hearts. The battle against sin starts in our hearts. It starts right here. Now look at what Peter says to Ananias in verse 3. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he says, again, uh, a little bit further down in verse 4, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Ananias' sin starts in his heart. This is where all sin begins. Uh, look at how uh, the apostle John describes it in 1 John chapter 2. He says this in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I mean, look, look, at, look at the language that's being used there. It talks about sin is, is loving the world. Sin has, has the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes. It's talking about heart language there. This is where sin begins. Look, it's not by, it's not by, let's go back to Ananias and Sapphira's example here. It's not by accident that we see at the end of chapter four, Barnabas sell a piece of land and bring all the proceeds to the church. And right after that, we're told a story of somebody doing the exact same thing with very different results. All right, Luke organized this in a specific way to contrast these two moments. So what we're meant to, to grab from this is, is, man, Ananias and Sapphira must have seen Barnabas' example. And what we know about Barnabas, because we're going to learn more about his story as we go on in Scripture, is that when Barnabas brought that piece of land, I'm sure people, I mean, I would have been like, oh, man, what? that's incredible. What, a, what, a been, what an amazing moment of generosity. Not that Barnabas would have done it for the praise and accolade that he probably got, not for people thinking he's super spiritual, though, you know, I probably would have if I were there. That's, that's not why he did it. But you can imagine somebody seeing that and going, oh, man. But look how they treated Barnabas. Look, 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 what, look what the church did for him. Look, look what people now think about this guy Barnabas. I bet, I, I bet they could think that about me too. How, how awesome would it be to get that kind of praise and approval from other people? So you can kind of imagine what's going on in the hearts and the minds of Ananias and Sapphira now. I think it, it seems like they, they wanted praise. It seems like they wanted approval from those in the church. It seems like they wanted people to think that they were more spiritual than maybe they actually were. So it starts with them wanting that, and then it ends with them lying. See, the lying is the end result, but it didn't start there. It started with them wanting something in their heart. It started with them desiring something more than Jesus. So to get what they wanted, they lied. I'm just thinking about how often this plays out in our lives. If I want something bad enough, if I really, really want something, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. So for those that don't know, I have three kids. Um, my son, Zaden, Livy, and then our youngest is Myla. I'm going to tell you a story about one of them to uh, hopefully help draw some uh, some points to this, uh, to this part of the sermon. But I'm, I'm going to leave out, I'm going to redact their names because I don't want you to think less of them um but i think it's a funny i think it's a funny story um so we, we, in our house, we have uh, these kids, we have just little popsicle sticks that they can, they can earn sticks based on, you know, helping around with chores, having a good attitude, listening, obeying right away, like, you know, these things that we try to teach our kids, not lying, all that good stuff, so that when they do that, they, they can earn a stick, and if they get to 10 sticks, then they get a treat, you know, so they get candy for Christmas, and, you know, Easter, they just get a bunch of candy from, from their grandparents for Easter, so we kind of just store it in a bag, and once they get to 10, they, they get a treat, they get a piece of candy, and they love it, and it's, it's funny, you know, it's, you know, a nice little positive reinforcement for them. So this one moment uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of my children uh, decided to to come. I, I work from home for most days, and so I got my desk set up in my room. So I'm working from home. The door's open, and this one child comes in and is like, "Dad, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut your door. Yeah, I know you're working. You need to concentrate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut your door." I'm like, "No, it's fine. You can leave the door open. it Doesn't bother me." They're like, "I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna shut it for you." I was like, oh, "Okay, that's weird. What? Do you, I don't know what you're doing." They shut the door, and then a few minutes later, they, they come back in, and they're like, Dad, I got to 10 sticks. I got 10 sticks. Can you go pick out a treat? I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, go for it. And then I was like, wait a minute. Wait, hold on, hold on. And then I remembered that this particular child lost their last stick a couple days ago due to bad behavior. So they, they were at zero just a couple days ago. I'm like, wait a minute. You lost your last stick a couple days ago, and now you're all of a sudden at 10. I don't know. Things aren't adding up. So I, I talked to this child, and I was like, okay, I'm giving you a chance here. I'm giving you a chance. I know that this didn't actually happen. I know you didn't get to 10, so I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to think about what you've done, and I want you to tell me what's going on here. So I, I gave this child a minute, and I said, okay, what, what, what you got? What, what, what happened? I said, dad, you know, this was a parenting win right here. Dad, yeah, I, I lied. I lied about it. And we try to teach our kids, like, look, we know it's tempting to lie, but if you tell the truth, the consequences are, are much less severe than when we catch you in a lie. So I was it's like, okay, make sure you tell the truth. So they did. They, they fessed up, and they said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have 10 sticks. I, I shut your door so that I could go to the kitchen and grab the sticks and then come in here. I was like, no, no why would you do that? Why would you do that? And the child was like, I really wanted a piece of candy. I really wanted some sugar. I was like, oh. My goodness, what are we doing here? So that's the thing. Like, this is what happens in, with us, right? Like, we really want something. We're going to try to create some circumstances to get what we want. I mean, just think about it. If, if what we desire most in life is money or materialism, it's going to end with us being greedy. It's going to end with us being hoarders. It's going to end with us not wanting any part of generosity, right? I mean, again, just, just think about the things that we, that we long for in life and the sins that come as a result of that. When I'm I'm angry or frustrated or impatient, whether that's with life circumstances or at work or with my spouse or my kids, when I get frustrated like that, when I get angry, what's that a result of? It's usually coming because I'm not getting something that I really want. And the end result is me being impatient, frustrated, angry, whatever the case is. If I'm driven by success in my job, then I might be tempted and might actually cut some corners. Or I might be willing to throw another employee under the bus to make myself look better. If I'm driven by other people's approval, well, then I'm going to lie and create different situations so that I come across a certain way, so that I look a certain way to those people whose approval I so long for. So we see this play out in our lives. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But the point is, is sin starts with our hearts. It starts with us desiring something more than Jesus. And once we do that, we're going to be led away from Jesus and towards sin. So sin captures our heart. The second thing we see is sin believes lies. Sin believes lies. So once sin captures our hearts, it leads us to believe lies. We're told that, that Ananias and Sapphira lied. This whole situation is because they're, they're lying to the Holy Spirit, they're lying to God, they're lying to Peter, they're lying to the church. And remember, why would they, why would they have done that? Why would they have done that? Why all the lies? It seems that they, they decided that, that the best way to get what they really wanted was to create this scenario where they come out looking better than they would have, right? Like they, they, they decided to, to get what I really want, I have to, I have to lie. They, they believed the only way to gain the approval that they so were longing for, the spiritual status that they were so longing for, was, was to create this whole scenario where, where, where they lied. And this is what sin does. It captures our hearts and it, it leads us to believe lies. We see this all, all the way back in Genesis 3 with the very first sin recorded in Scripture. It says, says this in Genesis chapter 3, It says, starting verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now look at that. Look at that progression that we see here with sin. What did the serpent do? He came. He came questioning. Right? Did God really say that? Oh well, sure. Sure, he said that, but but did he mean it? no, he's not going to, no, you're not going to die. No, what he meant was, was this, right? And then, that, then, they, then they step into sin. This is what sin does. Satan wants us to start to question and doubt the truths of God that we know. He wants us to doubt and question God. And once we start to do that, once we start to believe these lies, disobedience and sin will soon follow. So he wants us to question, you know, is, is God really good? Is God really good? Can I really trust God? Does God really have what's best for me in store? Is his way really worth following? This is what's going on in our hearts when we sin. We're believing these lies about God. And, and, and this is key. This is key. This is, why, this is why Satan, he's so crafty in his schemes. This is why he comes and wants us to question. It's because of this. He, he knows that what we believe leads to what we do. What we believe leads to what we do, and we see this, you know, even even in simple things, right? Like I I believe this chair, if I were to sit in it, would hold me up, right? So I'm gonna, I I'd sit in that chair and feel very confident that when I sit here, I'm not going to fall down and look really bad, right? And so I sit in the chair. Now, if I had any doubts that that chair would hold me up, guess what? I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sit down, right? Like if I on my way home, if I'm if I'm driving and I know I know that there is a cop radaring up ahead. Guess what I'm not doing? I'm not speeding. Not that I do anyways. Not that I do anyways. But I definitely wouldn't then. Yeah, I believe. You know, this is just me. You can disagree. I believe the only good kind of snake is a dead snake. I don't want to hear the oh well no the no the ones that aren't the ones that aren't venomous they're good for you no. That's a lie, y'all. You're believing a lie. So I believe the only kind of good snake is a dead snake. So when my wife found a little gardener snake in our backyard on Wednesday night, I'm here at Bible study, so I can't come and kill it. She calls my neighbor to come and kill it. He's like, He comes out, he's like, oh, it's just a little gardener snake. My wife, because she's smart, is like, I don't care. Kill it right now. That thing needs to be dead. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's nice snake. No, no, no. The only good snake is a dead snake. So we believe these things, and that leads to us acting in certain ways, right? What I believe leads to what I do. This is true in all aspects of my life. What I believe about my spouse leads to the way I treat and respond and talk to her. What I believe about parenting leads to the way I actually parent my children. All phases of life, what I believe leads to what I do, and it's true in our relationship with Jesus. It's true in our relationship with God. What I believe about God leads to how I live my life. If I doubt God's goodness or his power or his sovereignty or his grace and his glory, if I doubt these things that we see in scripture that are, that are true, if I doubt this, it's going to change the way I live my life. So sin leads us to believe lies. So sin captures our hearts, leads us to believe lies, and the third thing that we see here is sin brings death. Sin brings death. So as we know from the story, Ananias and Sapphira die because of their sin. We see that very clearly. They, they die because of their sin. And this is what sin does. This is what it does. It leads to death. It brings death. Now, is it, is it right away like with Ananias and Sapphira? No, no, not, not usually. We don't typically see that throughout history, right? That's not usually what happens. But it does bring death and destruction to our lives. Now, the Bible talks about this. All over the place. It constantly tells us. I mean, Romans six twenty three one of the more famous passages in the Scripture. The wages of sin is death. It's death. What my sin brings me is death and destruction. It brings destruction to my life. It brings destruction to my spouse, to my kids, to those around me. Sin always destroys. And look, here, here's, here's more lies that we tend to believe about sin. We, we lie to ourselves and we think, oh, you know what? Nah, nah, that sin, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not a big deal. Nobody knows about it. It's not hurting anybody else but me. It's not causing any harm. Nobody's affected by this. It's fine. It's fine. Or we, we lie and we, we believe wrongly that, you know what? I've, I've got a handle on my sin. I, I can control it. I got this. No problem. Oh, you know what, it's just its just—it's a, just a small little compromise. Oh, it's just a small little thing. Oh, you know what, I, if I, I, I'm, tra- I, I'm just gonna, uh, one more time. One more time, that's it. Just one more time, and then I'm done. I can stop anytime. I can stop whenever I want to. Like, these are the lies that we believe about sin. And look, the reality is, the reality is, is there are a few sins that lead to very public consequences, right? Like, if, if a marriage blows up and ends in divorce, it's pretty obvious to so those around you, like, oh, man, something, something happened there, something bad, and it wrecks not just their lives, it wrecks their kids, other people around. Like, there are some sins that lead to very public consequences. But the reality is, most sins that we commit, not many people know about it. Not many people know about it, unless they're close, right? Like, maybe our spouse sees it. Maybe it spills over into our kids sometimes. I mean, I can keep that under wraps. I can keep that just in, in my house and nobody knows about it. Look, I, I know, I know that as a pastor, I see only a, a little bit of you when we hang out on Sundays or when we get together during the week. I mean, I know that there might be some of you, you're just wilding out during the week. I have no idea what's going on. We can keep most stuff hidden, right? If we really want to, we can keep some stuff hidden. And we, we, that leads us to think, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal it's not really destroying anything it's not really causing any consequences but the reality is is the more we compromise the more we give in the more we chase after sin the more jesus or the more satan chips away from our hearts and leads us away from jesus the more and more we give in the more and more we go away from christ We think we're good. We can put up a good facade for other people to see. But on the inside, we're being destroyed. Uh, My my kids love uh, all kinds of fruit. They love to eat fruit. So I don't know how this happened in in our household, but I'm I'm the person in charge of purchasing the fruit and cutting up the fruit, peeling the fruit, making sure the fruit is ready to go so that my kids can eat it. Um, And again, I don't know how this happened. I think it was the first time we bought a pineapple and my wife and I were both like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. How do you get the, the, the fruit on the inside to come out? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Thankfully, there's YouTube for things like this. So anyways, over the years, I've learned, like, okay, I, I can tell what, what fruit is good, what fruit's ripe, uh, what's in season, what's out of season, because my kids are always asking, Dad, Dad, when are you, you going to cut up the pears? Dad, when are you going to cut up the peaches? Dad, when, when's that going to be ready? When are you going to cut up the And I'm like, no, no, it needs, needs more time to ripen. So I've been able to, to teach them a little bit as well. So a couple weeks ago, I went to the store and uh, I bought peaches, and I, most of us in Georgia know now is not the season for peaches, but good old Aldi got some peaches from, from the great country of Chile and, uh, and shipped them here, and I was like, cool, peaches. My kids love peaches. That's awesome, so I bring them home, and, and Zayden right away, my oldest, Zayden right away is like, dad, what are those? I'm like, they're peaches. What do you mean? He's like, dad, it's not the season for peaches. It's not time for peaches. I'm like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So, anyways, I give it a few days, and, and Livy, my daughter, she's just asking, Dad, are the peaches ready? Are there, the peaches ready? Are there, the peaches ready? Every single day. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, they're finally softening up. I'll finally cut into them, and I'll test it out. So I cut into them, and every, god, well, it was like five or six. Every single one was rotten to the core. It looked fine on the outside, seemed like it'd be good, but rotten in the middle. And so I did this at night after they were sleeping. So they wake up the next day, and Livy's like, Dad, did you cut up the peaches? I was like, I did. And I had to throw them all the way, because they weren't ready. And Zaden goes, Told you! Told you. I was like, oh, man. It's not, the, it's not the lost money of the peaches. That's the part that hurt the most is now that my son gets to hold this over my head. I was like, Dad, you remember when I told you not to do that, and you did it, and you were wrong, and I was right? Like, that's, it was his greatest moment for sure. But this, this is what sin does, though, right? Like, we, we can look good on the outside, but on the inside, our hearts, our souls, our lives are being ripped apart by our sin. We're rotten to the core. So how, how do we respond to this? How do we, how do we fight sin? How do we, how do we prevent the same fate as Ananias and Sapphira from sin wreaking havoc over our lives and destroying us? Which is this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ because what the Bible tells us over and over and over again is that no, how, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how destroyed our hearts might be, no matter how much we've been led astray, repentance is always an option. We can always turn back to Jesus. And here's the thing, we we might turn our backs on God and we might run hard away from him and towards our sin, but our God never turns his back on us. He is always right there with arms wide open waiting for us to turn back to him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the promise of Jesus. So if you want to stop living in your sin, if you want to stop chasing towards destruction, turn to him. Turn to Jesus. And the way we do that is reversing all these things that we've talked about. So instead of sin capturing our hearts, we need to to fix our heart and our lives and our desires on Jesus and remind ourselves of the beauty of Scripture that, that Jesus really is bigger and better than our sins. That, that, that he, he really does love us enough that, that he died on the cross for our sins. That his ways really are what's best for us. And look, I think when we, when we talk about that, some of us just need a, a change of mindset when we hear that. Like, I think sometimes when we hear Jesus' ways are what's best, sometimes it's like, you know, when your doctor tells you to, to eat more vegetables or exercise more, like, oh, I know that's good for me, but I don't want to do it anymore, right? Like, like so, uh, you know, we, you can tell me all day long that if you cook it a certain way, it tastes good. Brussels sprouts, I don't care what you do, they're disgusting, okay? They're gross. I don't want to eat them, but, you know, I know it's good for me. So it's it's like one of those things where I'm like, oh man, okay, I have to eat this, I have to eat these things, because I know they're good for me, but they're not enjoyable, like, let's be real, let's be honest for a second, this is a safe place, let's be real, nobody enjoys that, sometimes, you know, exercise, for me, it's not like I wake up in the, m- some of y'all might be like this, because you're crazy, but like, I don't wake up in the morning, and I'm like, ooh, I get to exercise, yay, that's so fun, no, I don't want to do that, no, I want to be lazy, I like that like just sitting on my couch. I don't want to do that. But we do it because we we know it's good for us. Sometimes we think that that's what Christianity is. I got to do this. I know it's good for me, but I'm not going to like it. What Christianity really is, it's like if I went to the doctor and he's like, hey, Travis, I know to eat healthy, I've told you, eat more vegetables. But new studies have come out that if you really want to live your best life, you really want to be super healthy, eat as many tacos as you can. Y'all, I'd be like, Done. I can do that, no problem. I'll be the healthiest person in the world. Done. Like, that's, that's what it means following Jesus. Not only is it good for us, it's awesome. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We just need to, we need to fix our minds on Jesus. We need to let him capture our hearts. Because he's awesome. And his ways are what's best. And he is better than anything our sin could ever promise us. So fix our heart and our desires on Jesus. And instead of believing lies to fight sin, what we need to do is, is remember God's truth. Stop believing the lies. Stop listening to Satan. Remind ourselves that God really does love me, that he sees everything about me. He sees all of my failures. He sees all of my mistakes. And he still says, I love you so much that I sent my son for you. That he came down and pursued us. That he came after us that through faith in Jesus, that I have all the love, acceptance, and approval in God forever. It has nothing to do with with me or or what I've earned or how good I am or not good. No, it's all based on Jesus, so I can't lose it. I always have that in Christ. You know, remind ourselves that God really does want to provide for us, that, that he really is working all the time for our good and his glory. That we can trust him, that, that he is a good God that wants to give good gifts to his children. These are truths in scripture. We need to hold tightly onto them. Remember the truths of God. Stop believing the lives. And then we, and we live in the abundant life of Jesus. We live in the abundant life of Christ. Jesus doesn't save us to live these miserable lives. That's not, that's not what we see in Scripture. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be wonderful, that we're not going to go through difficult, hard seasons. No, we will. We will, but what the truth of Scripture tells us is that God is right there with us when we go through those moments, that he's right there with us, leading us every step of the way, and we are safe and secure in his hands. So even in the darkest, most difficult moments, we can hold tightly onto Jesus. We can find joy and contentment and peace and comfort even in the hard times. So let's stop living in our sin. Stop chasing after us and let's stop following the empty promises of this world that only lead in death and destruction. And let's turn back to Jesus. Let's come back to him. His arms are open, ready to bring us back. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to do what we do every single Sunday. The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in worship, uh, and we're going to step into a time of communion. Uh, So this is a time for the believers only in the room. So if you're here, you have put your faith in Jesus. Here's what I would ask of you during this time. The Bible encourages us to take a moment and prepare our hearts. So I always encourage our folks, uh, take, take whatever time you need. And today especially, I would encourage you, Do an examination of your life. Where are the areas that that you you have stepped outside of God's ways? Where where are the areas that that you are believing lies and chasing after sin? Confess those and bring them to Jesus and walk in repentance. Confession really is the first step, right? Like instead of leaving those sins hidden and in the dark, drag them into the light. Satan immediately loses power, and a hold over us when we do that. So maybe you need to spend some time confessing to Jesus and repenting. Maybe, maybe you need to confess to somebody here. Maybe you need to confess to your spouse. Maybe you need to go pull your kids aside and confess some failures to them. Maybe there's somebody else in here that you need to confess sin to. Well, let's prepare our hearts and Christians, believers in the room as you are ready. We have elements on either side of the room. We have The bread, we have the cup, and we we take, we eat, we drink, and we remember and we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins, and he rose from the grave defeating death, hell, and the devil, and we celebrate our new life in forgiveness with him. So we come, we eat, we drink, we come, and, and we worship as his children. If you're here and, and you're not a believer, I, I love that you're here. I'm so grateful that you're here. I want you to please keep coming. Keep coming, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your fears. This is a safe place for you. But this, this time of communion is not for you. But it can be. It can be. Jesus has his arms open. The Bible makes it clear for, for all who call on the name of the Lord, he will save. Call on his name today. Put your faith In him, stop living for your sins. Stop chasing after the things of this world and come to Jesus. His arms are open. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you would like to do that, there's no magic words. There's no, you know gotta say this or that or it doesn't count. No, there's none of that. You just tell Jesus what's going on in your heart. You say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that way leads to death and I wanna live for you. I'm not living here anymore. I'm living for you, Jesus. He promises when we turn to him in faith and trust, he saves us and forgives us of all of our sins. If you want to do that today, just take a moment, tell Jesus that, and then come find me, come talk to me, and come talk to anyone anyone here. We, We would love to talk with you about that. We'd love to answer any questions, and most importantly, we'd love to celebrate with you. And then come take your first communion as a child of God. Let me pray for us, we'll step into a time of worship and communion. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these. At times, it can be difficult. At times, it can be a stark reminder. But Lord, I know that I need it. Lord, I know I need a reminder of how damaging and destructive my sin is. And how much better and more glorious you are, Jesus. Lord, would you show us, show us where we have stepped out, show us where we've, we've walked away, we've turned away from you, Lord. Give us the strength to bring that sin into the light and to walk in repentance with you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that no matter how far I run from you, Lord, you're, you're always right there. Lord, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, and yet you give it to us over and over and over again. Jesus, we love you. Give us the strength to walk in obedience to you, Jesus. Capture our hearts. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. For we love you, and we ask all of this in your powerful name.